Welcome to the James River Church Podcast. You're about to hear another inspirational message from Pastor David Lindell, Executive Ministry Pastor at James River Church. It's our prayer that this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. Today, we are back in our series, Power Today, and we actually find ourselves today in the center of the book of Acts, Acts chapter 15. So if you've got your Bible, you can go ahead and grab it and turn to Acts chapter 15. And as you make your way there, I want to ask you a question. Are you really saved? Do you have a relationship with God? If you and I were sitting across the table and I said, are you a Christian? What would be your answer and why? Is it baptism that saves you? Is it taking communion? Is that what saves you? Is it praying a certain way that saves you? Is it attending church and attending church is a good thing? Is that what saves a person? Or maybe the answer perhaps for you would be more complicated because it's not one thing, it's kind of a list of things. Because the way you grew up in that context, maybe it's your church background or the, the teaching that you sat under years back where because what was taught was really a list of do's and don'ts. You got really good at knowing what you should do and what you shouldn't do. And so for you, it comes down in many ways to whether or not you're keeping that list. Does a list save you? Does keeping the rules save you? What, what saves a person? What allows you to say with confidence, I'm saved? This is at the heart of the passage that we are looking at today in Acts. And so it's no wonder that Acts chapter 15 and the content within it is right at the center of the story of the early church. Because the most important question that any person can answer in their entire life is, how do I know I'm saved? How do you know you are right with God. Paul and Barnabas have just completed their first missionary journey, and they've traveled through Galatia and Cyprus, and they've planted no less than four churches. It's been wildly successful. There's been a little opposition, but on the whole, God has done amazing things. People have met Jesus. They've seen God do miracles as signs and wonders have brought people to faith in Christ. It's been incredible. But now, something happens. A group travels in to an area where Paul has planted a church, particularly in Pisidian Antioch, and this group of teachers starts telling a different story to the people who heard Paul and Barnabas preach. And the question that arises out of their teaching is, are you really saved? I want you to look at this in Acts chapter 15 and verse 1. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, 
you can't be saved. I know you thought you were saved. I know you were high-fiving. But unless you do some other things, you, you cannot be saved. Which causes the question to arise, what is the gospel? Is the gospel faith plus something else? Is the gospel faith plus obeying the entirety of the Old Testament law? Is the gospel faith plus keeping the rules? Is the gospel faith plus something else? That is the question that resides at the center of this entire passage. But in order to answer that question, we first have to define the message of salvation. What is the message of salvation? It is the message that the Bible refers to as the gospel, what we call the good news. And so what we're going to watch happen in these verses is the early church navigate two questions. The question of what is the gospel and how do you know you are really saved? And that starts with them defining the gospel. The gospel defined because in Acts chapter 14, what happens at the end of that text is that Paul and Barnabas set up leaders in these churches that they planted. So these brand new Christians are getting brand new pastors, and these churches are growing. People are excited about their walk with God. They're excited about their faith. And in the midst of their excitement, the worst case scenario begins to unfold. That people come in, teachers come in, and their message is, well, you thought you were a Christian, but you're actually not. We read this in Acts chapter 15, verse 1 and verse 5, but some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. It is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. So I can just see this unfolding. You've got this group coming into town and they're, you know what, the apostles are congratulating these new believers. They're so excited for them. And then this band comes in and they're meeting all of these new Christians. They're meeting all of these young pastors and they're saying, hey, um, you, was, was Paul the one who talked to you about this? They're like, yeah, we love Pastor Paul. Pastor Paul is just, he's our boy. We just love him so much. And uh, yeah, he and Barnabas came. Barnabas, what an encourager. I mean, just, geez Louise, that guy's only, that guy will encourage your socks off. Like it just, they just love Paul and Barnabas. So this group comes in and they, they say, you know, Paul, what a guy, great guy. Love him. So thankful for Paul. Um, Paul, though, uh, kind of doesn't, you know, he's, He's not totally in on the whole how this works thing. And so, uh, and the way it is, is, is works. There's, that's part of the equation. And so Paul didn't actually tell you the whole deal. So believing in Jesus is great. We're really excited that you believe in Jesus. And believing that Jesus died, absolutely. And believing that Jesus rose from the dead. All of that. One thumb up, let's put two thumbs up. Like, we're just so excited about that. What Paul didn't tell you is there's some things that go along with that. Some rules that you've got to keep because if you don't keep them, you can't be saved. So technically, you're not really saved. So I know you thought you were. 
little, pre, little, little presumptuous on your part, but um, there's just a few things that uh, we have for you to do. And um, if you'll do all of these things, then you'll be saved. So, uh, which, hey, that's good news, isn't it? You only have to do these things right here, all of them. So in the Torah, in the Mosaic law, there were 613 commandments, 248 thou shalt, and 365 thou shalt not, one for each day of the year. So um, that's the way the Old Testament law worked. So they come along and they say, you know what? Got to be circumcised. That's part of the law. But you really have to keep all of the law of Moses. Because if you don't do that, you're not a Christian. If you don't do that, not really a follower of Jesus, because Jesus was a Jew. So, you know, you do the math. You know, like that, that is kind of the deal. And so I know you're really excited, but you need to back up the train because you haven't started doing the stuff. So you start doing this, and then we'll talk about the party for you becoming a Christian. I've got to get those two things in order. And for some of you, maybe this sounds kind of familiar. Because maybe, just maybe, this is the way that you viewed your relationship with God. If I don't keep the rules, then I don't really know where I stand in my relationship with God. If I'm not measuring up, then maybe... I don't have a relationship with God. Maybe God doesn't want me. Maybe I'm not in, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying, I'm trying. I'm trying to measure up. Because what can happen over time is that the tools for growing in God be, can become the rules for growing in God. And so if you're really good at rules, that can end up leading to pride, self-righteousness. If you're not good at keeping rules, it leads to shame and condemnation. And shame doesn't say what you did is bad. It says you're bad. God wouldn't love somebody like you. You're a shame. God's ashamed of you. God wouldn't want you in his family. Do you know what you did this week? Do you know what you said? Do you know how? I mean, would, would, a, would a real child of God live that way? Would a real child of God say what you said? Do what you did? And what happens is, I didn't read my Bible enough and I didn't pray enough. And the, the rules of discipleship or the tools of discipleship become the rules of discipleship. And all of the sudden it calls into question whether you have genuine relationship with the living God. This is what Paul converts and it makes Paul angry. It makes Paul, in fact, he's furious when he hears all of this. And part of what helps us understand what the rest of what we're going to see in Acts chapter 15 is that publicly, this is how the church, you're going to read how the church deals with this whole question, but we also get a behind the scenes view when you go to Galatians chapter two, because in Galatians chapter two, Paul says some so-called believers there, false ones really, who were secretly brought in, they sneaked in to spy on us and to take away the freedom we have in Christ Jesus. They wanted to enslave us and force us to follow their Jewish regulations. Paul says this was a covert mission to take away our freedom in Christ. Paul says they snuck in. Paul says these aren't even really Christians. Because what they're teaching and what they're preaching isn't the gospel. 
They've distorted the gospel. They've changed the gospel. And a different gospel was what they were preaching. It was close. Believe in Jesus. You can believe that Jesus died for your sin. You can believe that Jesus rose from the dead. But they didn't stop there. They went on from that point to say, but there's some more things you have to do. You have to be circumcised and you have to keep the entire law of Moses. If you don't keep the entire Jewish covenantal law, then you're not a believer. You're not part of the family of God and you're not saved. They're not a Christian. Paul's confronting this group in Galatians chapter two, and his point is going to be this. If you change the gospel, then it's not the gospel. Okay. If you add to the gospel, it's not the gospel. It's something different. It's a distortion of what Jesus came and lived and died and rose to give credence to. This is where Paul cuts to the heart of in Galatians as he goes to say this in Galatians chapter 1. I am astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one. But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. I'll tell you this, Satan loves to distort the gospel of Christ. Why does he love it? He loves to take grace and flip it on its head. He loves to remove it from the equation or make you think at the very least that you need to earn it. Why? Because when he does that, he diminishes what Jesus did on the cross. He makes it supplemental, not necessary. He actually turns it into a waste. He makes it empty. Look at what Paul says in verse 9. As we have said before, so I now say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. In no uncertain terms, Paul says, everything about this is upside down. Everything about this is wrong. And part of the reason Paul is so upset is this is the reverse of how God actually works in the lives of his people. Go to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. Is anybody glad in the house that you didn't save yourself? Is anybody glad that it didn't have to be you, that Jesus came and did something for you you couldn't do for yourself? It's not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Paul says you can't earn it. You can't deserve it. You can't measure up to it. You can't perform for it. It's a gift. Grace, start to finish, is a gift. You didn't start your salvation. You can't sustain your salvation. It's got to be by the gift of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. Because God did it. God did it. And now what these guys have come in and said is, no, 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 no. God kind of did it, but really, you need to be doing it. Paul says, no, 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 no. That's all, all wrong. 
And as he's walking through this, what Paul understands is that when you flip this on its head, it distorts the way that you relate to God. How so? In Galatians chapter 3 and verse 5, he points to this reality. Look at what he says. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by the hearing of faith? If you start to believe that when I do right, I'm on God's good side, and when I do wrong, well, I don't know where I stand with him, then what that feeds is in your relationship with God, you believe you need to negotiate with him to work in your life. I'm going to barter with him. God, I've been really good, so I want you to do something for me. God, I deserve this. God, I've earned this. You know, you know I, haven't, I haven't cussed. I haven't chewed. I haven't gone with any girls who do. Like, I, I haven't done any of that. So you need to help me. But miracles are not the product of our negotiations with a holy, sovereign, righteous God. Miracles are a gift. Miracles are a gift of God, an evidence of God's grace at work in your life. He wants to show you his goodness. He wants to show you his grace. He wants to give you the gifts that were purchased on the cross by Jesus, period. You don't get to add to that. The Son of God's sacrifice was sufficient. When he said it is finished, it was finished. It was finished. Paul is irate because they're adding to what Jesus did, and they're even distorting not just the ministry and the work of Christ, but the words of Christ. The most, the most well-known verse in Scripture is what? John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Whoever believes. The gospel is Jesus saves. The gospel is when Jesus went to the cross in your place for your sin and said, it is finished. It was finished. It is finished. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. You can't measure up to it. So this is the gospel defined, but the apostles know that not only will the gospel have to be defined here, but it will have to be defended. It will have to be defended. And so when you go back to Acts chapter 15, we go to verse 2. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, that being the Judaizers, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem and to the apostles and the elders about this question. Throughout church history, there have been moments when the gospel needs to be defended because Satan loves to take what God originated, what God brought about, and twist it in the lives of people. So they end up not having a relationship with God, and they keep butting up against the wall of religion instead of ever entering into relationship. And so now, as we walk into this gathering, they're going to meet with the apostles and the elders. We're going to see three people talk. We're going to see Peter talk. We're going to see Paul and Barnabas talk as a unit. 
And then the leader of the early church in Jerusalem, a guy named James, who was the half-brother of Jesus. When I say half-brother, I mean Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. So James was a biological child of Joseph and Mary. Jesus was the Holy Spirit conceiving in Mary the, the child, the Christ child. These are the three that are going to set out to defend the gospel. And the first person to speak is Peter. And Peter's validation of the gospel, his God-given validation of the gospel is this, that no one can perfectly obey the Old Testament law. Let's look at it. Peter writes, uh, Peter says this in this group. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, brothers, you know that in the early days, God made a choice among you that by my mouth, the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us, and made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? What is Peter's point? Peter's point is, okay, let's go back hundreds of years. Has anybody ever been able to keep the law in its entirety? And the answer is only one person. Does anybody know who that is? It's Jesus. Peter says, Jesus is the only one who's been able to do this. So why in the world would we go to them and tell them the message of Jesus and then add on something that none of us have done? That doesn't make any sense. We can't add to them what has never worked for us. Now, the problem wasn't with the law. The law is holy. The problem is with us. We can't keep the law, which is exactly why Jesus came. Look at, he continues in his line of thought. Look at what he says next. But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. You know what? We don't even believe what is being taught. We don't believe you're saved by works. We don't believe you're saved by keeping rules. We don't believe that our standing with God is dependent upon how you did this week. We're saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Come on, can we celebrate the fact that it's Jesus who saves? It's Jesus who keeps us right with God. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. He said it's not the law. It never has been. But now it's Paul and Barnabas' turn. And they do something really interesting here. Paul is no doubt the smartest guy in the room. He's probably the most educated in the room. And you're going to think, well, Paul's probably got this long theological treatise for this group that's gathered. But instead, he surprises us. And the second validation for the gospel is signs and wonders. Look at what they say. And all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. Isn't this amazing? It speaks to the truth that one of the most powerful validations for the gospel is God's miraculous work through his people. One of the most powerful things God will do to validate the gospel to your family, to your friends, to your neighbors, is when you step out and say, can I pray for you? When you step out and say, I believe God wants to heal you. I believe God wants to work in your life. I believe God wants to show up on the scene of your life and show who he is and the reality of his transforming power. He loves doing that. 
In fact, this week we got a story, and it's from a guy named James. James had some work being done in his backyard. They, the, a company was installing, along with the city, some new fiber lines in their backyard. And so, you know, they're tearing up the backyard, and everybody loves that. You know, when the electrical company shows up and says, hey, we got to do some work in your yard. So he said, what I did that day is I started by praying, and I said, God, I would like you to give me a word of knowledge or show me what you want to do in healing one of these guys who are working in my backyard. What a great prayer. And so he said, I prayed, and I felt like during my prayer time, God said, right knee. He said, so I went out, and I started talking to the guys, and found out they didn't speak English. So they directed me to their foreman, and I told the, he, the foreman, was like, what, what can I do for you? And he was like, well, I feel like God wants to heal somebody in this group. He said, does somebody have knee pain in you're in your group. And he said, how do you know that? <laughs> I love that. How do you? He said, there's a guy named George in our group, and he's been complaining about his knee all yesterday. His knee's been hurting. And James said, well, can I, would you mind if I pray for him? He's like, well, he doesn't speak English. He said, would you translate for me? So the foreman of this construction crew from the electrical company is like, sure. So they walk over. He prays for George's knee. And when he gets done praying, he looks at George and says, how does it feel? George's like, it feels better. He's like, well, do something you couldn't do before. So George is like demonstrating in front of all of the other crew. It's so great. So he said, you know, we were just celebrating like, that's awesome. He said, the next day we decided to make little snacks. So we made them snacks and we brought out, you know, ice water for them. And we, we came out and I, my first question was, how is George? And I found one of the guys who spoke English. I said, hey, how's George doing? They, he said, he's completely better. He's totally fine. He said, so he doesn't have any pain. No, no pain, full range of motion, which is awesome. So cool. He said, <laughs> I love this. He said, do you guys understand that God healed him? And the guy was like, oh, absolutely. Which I love that he clarified that. Like, I didn't do that. God did that. He said, I've got a gospel presentation in Spanish is there anybody who could read that to all the guys? So once again, he enlisted the foreman to read the gospel to his whole crew. After he read the gospel, one of the guys came up to him and said, why are you being so nice to us? And he said, the reason I'm being so nice is that Jesus loves you. He said, well, here, whoa, 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 whoa. He said, nobody is usually nice to us. Like we're always in their space. He said, hey, here's the thing. God doesn't love anybody more than he loves somebody else. He loves all of us. We're all the same in his sight, and we just wanted you to know how much God loves you, how much he cares about you, and we wanted you to know that he can change your life. That's powerful. Here's the thing. Signs and wonders validate the gospel. If God heals somebody, he's doing it to point the people around them to Jesus. He's doing it to draw people to Jesus. He's doing it so that they know that there's a God in heaven who loves them and sees them and cares about them. And that grace is a gift. They don't have to earn it. They don't have to deserve it. They don't have to do anything for God to work in their life. He's just that good. He loves working in the lives of people. So Peter presents the first validation that the law doesn't save anybody. Paul and Barnabas present the second validation that God has done signs and wonders, and now it's James' 
turn to talk. James has been listening to all of this, and his validation is this, that this has been God's plan from the very beginning. This is what God's desire to do from the very beginning. Look at what James says. After they finished speaking, James replied, brothers, listen to me. Simeon, this is Peter's Hebrew name, has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophet agree. And he reads this passage from Amos. What is James getting at here? He's getting at the fact that before time began, God set in motion a plan of redemption for your salvation. That Jesus coming and Jesus dying is not an afterthought because you couldn't make the grade. Jesus' life and death and resurrection were God's plan from the start. His plan was never that you were going to measure up. His plan was never that you were going to perfectly obey the law. He always knew he'd need to send a savior, which is why Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 1, it was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began. I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but before the world began, God was thinking about you. Before time began, God knew you in 2022 would need a savior. God knew you in 2022 would be bumping up against religion and saying, God, I want to follow you. I want to walk with you. I want a relationship with you, but I just can't seem to do it. So what's the use? I've tried and I, it's for other people. It's not for me. And God looking through time and eternity saw you and said, you know what? The way you're going to approach me is not by what you do and not by what you can do and not by what you should do. It will be by what Jesus has done. That when he went to the cross, he said, it is finished because it was finished. So what is James going to say to these brand new Christians who are confused and try to grapple. How do we live among these Jews who are observing the law? And what do, what do we do? James says this, therefore, it is my judgment that we should not trouble those Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, and from what has been strangled and from blood. He knows that these Jesus following Gentiles and these Jesus following Jews are just trying to learn how to live together. And he says, you know what? This will go a long way to helping smooth over those differences. And then he puts it in a letter. And I love this for it seemed good to the Holy spirit and us to lay no greater burden on you than these few requirements. You must abstain from eating food offered to idols, from consuming blood or meat that has been of strangled animals and from sexual immorality. If you do this, you will do well. Farewell. I love how short that is. And then they called a general meeting of the believers and delivered the letter. And there was great joy. Why do you think that was? We don't have to get circumcised. Yay. You know, they're, they're pumped up. I think they were really excited about the gospel, but that was probably also exciting to them. And throughout the church that day, as they read this encouraging message, 
James's point is not, hey, let me give you 10,000 things to do so you can be right with God. The point is that often all of us are prone to make walking with God exceedingly complicated and to give ourselves a litmus test of whether our relationship with God is actually intact. And the fact of the matter is this, that grace is where you started and grace is how you keep going. That Jesus is the one who paid it all. Jesus is the one who made the great. Jesus is the one who lived perfectly. Now you put on his righteousness. That's how you walk with God.